This morning we're going to continue the series in uh, John chapter 1, verses 1 to 18, the prologue. <coughs> and uh, as we've said every week, um, John tells us why he wrote. He says, These things are written that you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and in believing have life in his name. So as we read it together, listen up. This is for you, everyone. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world. And though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent nor of human decision or of a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him. He cried out, saying, This is the one I spoke about when I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me, because he was before me. Out of his fullness we have all received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who is himself God, and is in the closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. It's just brilliant that we've been able to focus on Jesus in our worship this morning. Um, sometimes the gospel gets a little bit distorted, or perhaps not the whole gospel is, is given. Uh, you may be familiar with uh, some diagrams uh, like this, uh, which talks about our need of salvation. It talks about how our sinful nature separates us from a holy God and eternal life. Uh, how that uh, we could try to do our best uh, to bridge the gap between us and God. Uh, uh, that uh, religion and morality uh, are things we try, but they're not good enough. But that we need uh, Jesus Christ to come and to bridge the gap for us. Um, but there is a problem. With that, it seems very focused on uh, a gospel of me avoiding hell, uh, of me going to heaven, 
Uh, actually, me just uh, stepping over Jesus as a way to get uh, to heaven. Uh, but what we're on about this morning is that the focus of our worship is Jesus. And it's his glory. Um, it's not about me, actually. It's about him. Um, the gospel isn't about a heaven where you get to chill out and enjoy yourself in your own way, uh, get reunited uh, with those lost ones that have gone ahead of you. Uh, the primary thing about salvation is it brings us back into a relationship with God. Uh, another set of diagrams that are used are these ones. It shows us uh, in our sinful nature uh, reaching up to God, uh, but uh, falling short. Uh, some seem to get further than others, uh, but it, again, it takes an act of God. It takes the cross of Jesus uh, to bring us to God. Um, again, not a particularly helpful diagram because, guess what? By nature, we don't want to reach to God. In fact, we don't think very much of God at all. In fact, uh, we would rather do anything other than reach for God. Romans 3, verse 9 says, All are under the power of sin. As it is written, There is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. You see, it's not just um, also, uh, this, this diagram a bit misleading, because you could knock off the word sinful. Um, there is still a problem, even if we didn't have sin. Uh, there is something else that separates us from God, and that's that we are creatures, and he is the creator. God is so much greater than us, so much more glorious than us, so much more wise um, and unless God chooses to reveal himself to us, we will be left in the dark. So it doesn't matter how much we reach up, we won't find God unless he wants us to find him, unless he reveals himself to us. Now the good news is that he has done precisely that. So, the incarnation that we've been uh, just thinking about with the Christmas uh, events uncut um, is much more than just God dealing with our sin. It is about God restoring a relationship with us, but it's also God revealing himself to us. Um, as we've also covered, I think, just about every week, um, Hebrews 1 says that in the past God spoke in various ways uh, by prophets, and in these last days, he's spoken by his son. It's as if God has sent us messages. Uh, there's all sorts of theology. We used the term earlier. Uh, we talk about uh, um, other ways that God has revealed himself in in we call general revelation. Um, God has actually displayed a lot about himself in the creation around us, if only we had eyes to see it. Uh, but God has special revelation. He's revealed himself in special supernatural ways. He's spoken by prophets. He's spoken by signs and wonders. But last of all, he spoke by his son. No one has ever seen God. 
No one has ever seen God. But the one and only Son, who is himself God and is in the closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. Uh, You have to wait uh, a couple of weeks uh, to to hear Steve preach on that, so I'll have to skip on. Um, But uh, if you look at the structure of the the first 18 verses of, uh, of, of John's Gospel, you'll find that verse 14 is really quite central to the whole thing. Um, at the beginning, we're introduced to the word. At the end, there's this summary statement. And in the middle, we find the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now, I'm going to skip through some of this. Uh, I, I had prepared wonderful diagrams for you. I'd gone to a very thick book by Wayne Grudem. I don't know if you've come across Wayne Grudem's Systematic Theology. Um, I mean the real one, the one that is uh, bigger than a house brick, heavier than a house brick, and useful for propping doors open. Uh, you may have seen the lighter weight ones, but I have the, the heavyweight one. Um, and, and I thought we could do a little bit of uh, Trinity 101 uh, just to, to make sure that we're all clear about some of the truth about the Trinity because we have talked about it quite a lot in the last few weeks. Uh, but very helpfully, Wayne Grudem says, uh, actually he quotes from Louis Burkhoff, genuflect. <clears throat> the Trinity is a mystery. Man cannot comprehend it and make it intelligible. It is intelligible in some of its relations and modes of manifestation. This is theology, you've got to use big words. Relations and modes of manifestation. But unintelligible in its essence and nature. So what can we say about the Trinity? Uh, Oh, that's yours. I don't know where that came from. Something to do with carnation or incarnation, was it? Oh, I don't know how that slipped in there. I just thought it was interesting that it was a... A dodgy exposition at the bottom. Um, anyway, uh, what we can say ab- about uh, the, the Trinity is uh, that God is... Um, well, I'll just read the words. There are three distinct persons, and the being of each person is equal to the whole being of God. Have you got that? Yep. So you understand it now. You can explain it to anyone. But when we look at uh, the incarnate, we see the, the tiny baby. We, got, we could have the, you could dress up in a little blue shawl thing and you could, no, no, don't, let's not do that. Um, the carol says, our God contracted to a span incomprehensibly made man. Jesus is God. He is equal to the whole being of God. How is that? That's wonderful, isn't it? And some, some not so helpful views of the Trinity. God isn't divided into three equal parts, no. Um, and God isn't 
bits added on to a central... There isn't a father bit added on to make the father, a son bit added on to make the son, and a Holy Spirit added on um, to God's real being. And the persons of the Trinity are not just three ways of looking at God. Uh, so if you look at him one way, it looks... Uh, so people use the illustration of water, don't they? So if you, you heat it up, it, it becomes steam, and you look at it that way. Or if you uh, let it cool down a bit, it becomes water, and you look at it that way. And if you uh, freeze it a bit, it uh, turns into ice, and you look at it that way, but it's all water. Uh, no, that isn't a good illustration. Um, we need to just keep our illustrations simple uh, if they don't uh, hold water. Oh dear. Um, um, we should drop them. Um, and be prepared not to understand everything. Um, and when it comes to the incarnation, you can also pick your heresy. And I just, there was just a few that were interesting. I, I'm, there will be a test on Aaron. Aaron. There will be a test on this afterwards. Um, spelling and everything. But at various times in uh, history, there have been various things. Uh, the first one there, which I won't even pronounce, uh, is Christ is not one person consisting of a human body. Um, but divine and mind and spirit. It, 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 he, he was teaching that uh, the bit, bit of Christ was human, a human nature in his body, uh, but in his mind and spirit he was God. No, wrong. Uh, and Christ is not two separate persons, one divine and one... Per- so there was a teaching that, uh, that Christ is actually two persons in one, and, and no, we don't uh, agree with that either. Uh, Christ is not one person with a third kind of nature. Uh, so you take a human nature and a divine nature and you mix them up and you end up with a new kind of nature, a sort of human divine nature. Uh, that isn't Christ either. In, in AD 451, there was uh, the uh, definition from Chalcedon. And this is, this is the one that, uh, that Wayne Grudium says we should, should go with. It's, it's pretty good. Um, there are two natures in one person and one being. Can you see that? There's a sort of overlap of divine nature and human nature. Uh, Christ's divine nature is exactly the same as that of the Father, and his human nature is exactly like that of our human nature, yet without sin. Um, one nature does some things that the other nature doesn't do. So, for example, Jesus' human nature has ascended and is no longer in the world. Uh, but Jesus' divine nature is everywhere present. So he, he can say, where two or three are gathered in my name, I, I am there. That's something that uh, we, we were saying today. You know, Jesus has ascended, but he is here. Well, we've known him with us this morning. He's not here and he's here. That's because his, his human nature is not here, but his divine nature is here. And uh, Jesus' human nature died. Now, this is a, I found this very interesting. His divine nature did not die and was able to raise him up. Mm-hmm. However, his whole person and both natures, human and divine, somehow experienced death the divine nature didn't die but somehow because he's one person it experienced death 
but it was able to raise him up. And we can also say that anything either nature, the divine nature or the human nature does, the person of Christ does. So Jesus can say, before Abraham was, I am. And we can say that Christ died for our sins. And we can say, I am leaving the world and I am with your ways. Uh, A little summary is that remaining what he was, he became what he was not. So he didn't lose anything of his divine nature, uh, but he took on human nature. Remaining what he was, not losing any of that, he took on divine nature. He didn't give up his deity when he became a man, but he did take on humanity that he was not before. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Now, Don Carson, genuflect, more literally translated the Greek verb, verb skenuo, we'll get a lot of Greek here, means that the word pitched his tabernacle or lived in his tent amongst us. And uh, it may allude actually to the tabernacle or to the tent of meeting. In Exodus 25 verse 8, um, have them make a sanctuary for me and I will dwell among them. Make this tabernacle and all its furnishings exactly like the pattern I will show you. God was actually going to come and live physically manifested among his people in a tent. God actually wanted to be with his people. Um, there's an uh, Old Testament scholar, a uh, Hebrew scholar called Dale Ralph Davis. I remember him, him preach on this. And, and he was uh, saying that when he went to college, he, it was, he moved hundreds of miles away from his, his girlfriend Uh, But every weekend, he would drive hundreds of miles to meet her. Because he just had to be with her. And that's how... See, I have to do it with an American accent. I'm not going to do that for your benefit, Claire. He just had... No, it wasn't. I wasn't going to... I just couldn't bring myself. We had such an amazing Thanksgiving meal the other night. (laughs) I just couldn't do that. But he had to be with her. And God went to lengths to come and dwell among his people. Talking of places where you really would like to be, um, this here, Stockton-on-Tees. You've been there. Yes, you have. This is the Premier Inn at Stockton-on-Tees. Do you know what this is? This is north. North is August. North is in a farm. A wonderful farm. Look, green grass, blue skies, sunshine, Terry Virgo preaching. You really want to be there. In fact, we're so sure that you want to be there and come and stay in a tent that uh, we're cancelling Sunday on that that weekend. Uh, There is no Sunday. No, it's going from Saturday to Monday. No, we will not be meeting here on the Sunday. We will all be meeting at North. Isn't that exciting? You can go there and experience the weather. 
same tent. Um, where was that place you stayed? You see, the words became flesh and camped with us. He didn't stay in the Premier Inn in Stockton on Tees. He put his tent up in the rain and let the mud accumulate on his brand new tent. Didn't do it. When the word came and became flesh, he did do it graciously. <laughs> this theme of dwelling with his people is, is a big thing in, in the Bible. Um, I think if we read between the lines in Genesis 2 and 3, we see that God walked in the garden and met with Adam and Eve. Uh, There's actually a wonderful picture. Genesis 2 is, is like a, a temple garden. Now, a lot of the elements that we see later in the tabernacle and the temple are found, actually, in, in Genesis 2, in, in the garden. Um, and, and, and so there's this place where God meets with his people. He dwells with them. And then because of our sin, that relationship is broken and we're thrust out of his presence. But even then, God says, I want to be among my people. And so he has a tabernacle. He has a tent of meeting. Um, and then he has a temple. Now, at Gateway Church, we believe God has said that this should be a place where people come in, enter in, find God, and go out and tell others. And in the New Testament... The Christian is called the temple and the church is called the temple. I don't think we're stretching it to say that God is with us this morning. I think we've known his presence with us. Now, as Raven Charismatics, we, 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 we're passionate about the presence of God. Mm. And we can make a lot of noise, we can have a lot of lights and loud music, but that means nothing, nothing if we don't know God's presence with us. And the good news is he wants to be present with us. And as we've already heard in the verses, lots of my notes can just go out the door. We have been promised his presence. Jesus says, I am going to prepare a place for you. He went to the cross to prepare a dwelling place for you, a dwelling place in his kingdom He said, if you love me, if you keep my commandments, I'll come to you. He said, if you keep my word, the Father and I will come and make our dwelling with you. That is God's heart. That's his desire to dwell with his people when people keep coming off the street, when we invite people off the street and they meet with us as we meet with God, they will say, God is in this place. Well, I then have to teach them that God is everywhere. But something amazing happens when we meet together as church and God loves to meet with his people. 
And of course, that's not the end of the story. There's a day when this will be finalized. And John speaks of it in Revelation 21. He says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, no more mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Flesh. Meat. Like chili con carne, incarnation. Incarnation? Chili con carne? Meat. He became meat. No, it's as, it's as brutal as that. He became flesh. Ooh. No vegetarians here, I hope, this morning. He was the same stuff as us. Remember, Flowers and Swan had this thing about, you know, if the Jew-Jew didn't want us to eat people, this is cannibals singing to each other, if the Jew-Jew didn't want us to eat people, why did he make us of meat? Now we're made of meat, and he was made of the same stuff as us. He was made of flesh. Why was that? Well, it, it was so that he could sympathize with us, not just empathize. If we read Psalm 103, verse 13, we hear that God understands our condition. He empathizes with us. The Lord is like a father to his children, tender and compassionate to those who fear him, for he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. God understands that we are weak. But in Hebrews 4, we read, we do not have a great high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. He doesn't just empathize, he sympathizes. Um, I think the NIV actually uses the word empathize and it's wrong there. Empathy is when you look on something and you try and put yourself in that situation. Sympathize is when you are in that situation yourself and you understand it. Just as a word of an aside there, if you've ever been in a a situation of grief, of loss or whatever, um, you will find in the church other people who have been in the same place. And the great thing is that God says that the comfort that you have received, you can give to them. So look out for those people and bring the comfort that you've received to them. Sympathize with them. That's what Jesus would do. Flesh. Mortality. (laughs) 
All flesh is grass, and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades, when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Isaiah 40, 6 and 7. Psalm 90, verse 10. Our days may come to 70 years or 80 if our strength endures. Yet the best of them are but trouble and sorrow, for they quickly pass and we fly away. Do you know, not everyone in this room might be here next year. It's a thought, isn't it? Meat is perishable. It has a sell-by date. Human flesh has a sell-by date of 70 to 80 years at best. But Jesus didn't live that long. Because we killed him. Why did he have to become flesh? He had to become flesh so that we could slap him in the face, spit on him, so he could pull out his beard, flog him, and crucify him. That's one of the reasons he became flesh. He came to die. We'll come back to that. We have seen his glory. The glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father full of grace and truth. What is glory? It's uh, dictionary definition is it's magnificence. Magnificent. It's there somewhere. Splendor. Grandeur. Great beauty. Luster. Shiny. You got that. <laughs> Glory is something that makes you go, wow! It's like the night sky or the, the Hubble deep field view. It's like Grand Canyon or Yosemite. Yosemite. It's like Snowdonia. Glory is like the groom turning and seeing the bride. It's the wonder of a newborn baby, fearfully and wonderfully made. It's the intricacy of a human cell. Did you see that program about cells? It's the vintage Mercedes, that's glorious. <laughs> the Bentley, that's glorious. It's Wales winning against the All Blacks. Oh, no. Yes, it's even in fiction. <laughs> it's the hobbit yes (laughs) it's a book isn't it the hobbit it's also a film gonna be a film you know and one of the most glorious things uh, you know i'm a technologist one of the most glorious things about the hobbit film is it has been shot using 48 red hd cameras which are like gazillions of pixels but shot at 48 frames a second. Oh, that's just, that is just glorious, isn't it? 
What is glory? Uh, apparently, it's a luminous ring or halo as depicted around the head of Jesus or a saint. Um, no. Uh, when it says we have seen his glory, it wasn't like, oh, you know who Jesus is. He's the one with the funny, shiny light around him. Uh, no, it wasn't like that. Um, yes, there was an occasion, thank you, Nigel, um, the transfiguration. Uh, I was going to say, um, you know, often when people say we have seen his glory, he's obviously talking about the transfiguration. The thing is, John doesn't talk about the transfiguration, so he probably isn't thinking about that. But it was great. No, it was great. It's still good. It's in the Bible. It's good. It's Mark, my favorite. You know that. What is God's glory? Uh, John Piper says this. What is it? I believe the glory of God is the going public of his infinite worth. I define the holiness of God as his infinite value, his infinite intrinsic worth. And when that goes public in creation, the heavens are telling the glory of God. And human beings are manifesting his glory because they, they're created in his image. And we're trusting his promises. So that makes him look good and trustworthy and glorious. The public display of the infinite beauty and worth of God is what I mean by glory. And I base that partly on Isaiah 6. And remember that, the, the seraphim, they say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. We've actually sung it today, haven't we? The whole earth is filled with his holiness. No, the whole earth is filled with his glory. glory. Thank you. We expect it to be holiness, but his glory. So glory is the manifestation of God's holiness. It's the radiance of it, the radiance of his manifold infinitely worthy and valuable perfections. If you want to go and learn more about that, desiringgod.org. <laughs> we have seen his glory. Uh, but who is the we? Well, it's not everyone, uh, because Jesus didn't go around with a glowing halo or the sort of aura around him. Um, it's a number of people, I suppose, that saw it. It was John the Apostle, obviously, uh, he wrote this. Uh, he wrote about what he had seen. He was a witness. And in uh, his first letter, he says, uh, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared... We've seen it and testified to it and we proclaim to you the eternal life which was from the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us. Do you know what he's saying there? He says, I saw some stuff and I saw glory and what I'm going to do is tell you about it so that you can see it. You weren't there. I was there. I saw it. I heard it. I actually stared at him. I touched him. And I saw glory. Let me tell you about that so that you can see the glory too. Not everyone saw it. And sometimes 
Some people saw it when nobody else did at all. Um, John the Baptist seemed to have an interesting encounter, but he was very clear. Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Uh, there's a, that funny little story about Nathaniel in, in chapter 1-2. Apparently, all it took for Nathaniel was to have Jesus tell him that he'd seen him underneath a tree. To, to Nathaniel, that was glory. And Jesus said, <laughs> You think that's glorious? You're going to see something more than that. What about uh, the wedding at Cana? Um, I think we've been here a few times. Uh, Six stone water jars, 20 to 30 gallons each. It's a lot of water, all turned into wine. And of course, the, everyone at the wedding just said, isn't Jesus amazing? We just want to follow him. What does it say in verse 11 of chapter 2? It says, Jesus displayed his glory. Yeah, I've got that bit. Six stone water jars, 30 gallons each, a lot of wine. A lot of glory there, isn't it? Jesus displayed his glory and what? His disciples believed on his name, put their trust in him, had faith in him. Not everyone, just some. He displayed his glory in such a way that wasn't immediately visible. But when you see it, it's glory. Have you seen Jesus in that way? Maybe you know lots about Jesus. Maybe you could do a better job than me with this, actually. There's, uh, there's lots more to come. How long have we got? Uh, it's not very well put together, really. You might have a lot of knowledge about Jesus. Is he glorious to you? Is he the best thing ever? Is he just like, is there nothing that compares with Jesus? Have you seen his glory? <coughs> you see, it's not just good enough to know facts about him. To be born again is to have a change of heart, to be changed, for Jesus to be everything, for us to stop worrying about ourselves and our things and whether or not we're going to heaven or hell or whether we're going to see Aunt Sissy when we get there. Good street Baptist name, that. No. It's about a relationship with God through the work that Jesus has done by the work of his spirit among us, the presence of his spirit with us. It's about a relationship where if Jesus is lifted up, he looks utterly glorious. Is that why you come on a Sunday morning? Or just come because, well, it's church, better go. Do you come because Jesus is glorious and you just want to have another glimpse? You can just, uh, this afternoon, if you want to see more of the glory of God, I, I've got a whole list of them here. Just go through I mean, every chapter. The glory of Jesus is revealed in one way or another. I'm sure that's what John was, was doing. The glory of Jesus at the raising of Lazarus. Here's a, here's a twist on it. It says that... Uh, and, well, let's read it, shall we? 
By the way, uh, this Bible, which I've uh, taken possession of this morning, uh, has been left many weeks ago. It's a very nice new international version, leather. Um, and, uh, you know, if it's yours, uh, there's no name in it, you see. Uh, I'll have mine in it by the end of the day. Um, right. Let's have a quick... This is what happens when you jump off your notes, isn't it? It goes completely wrong. There's a man named Lazarus who was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and his, her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured per- perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. It's interesting, he wants us to know some of the details that can be checked up on. These are real events, isn't it? So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. Now it's for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. When he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. It says Jesus loved them and he stayed where he was. What's that about? Because Lazarus died. He loved. And he let that happen. But he had something wonderful in mind. Do you see that? Do you see the glory of Jesus even when things don't go the way we hoped they would go? Yeah, it's real, isn't it? That's stuff that's happened in this room, isn't it? Death. Dashed hopes. But Jesus is glorious. And even when it looks as if everything's going wrong and our hearts break... Jesus is so glorious, he hasn't lost the plot at all. Jesus hasn't stopped loving us. He just has some glory in mind. And you can go through the rest of John's Gospel and you will just find so many things like that. Do you see his glory? Do you know his glory in your life? Have you got stomach for a bit more glory? John 7, 37. On the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as Scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within him. By this he meant the Spirit whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the Spirit had not been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. 
Well, there's more glory to come, it would appear. Something had not happened because Jesus hadn't yet been glorified. Let's see. <clears throat> John chapter 12, verse 14. Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, as it is written, Do not be afraid, daughter of Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. At first, his disciples did not understand all of this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that these things had been done to him. There's more glory to come. There's more glory to come. Ah, John chapter 12, verse 23, just a few verses on. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. What's that got to do with the glory? Anyway, read on. John chapter 17, verse 1. Jesus looked towards heaven and prayed, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people, that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had before the world began. And then a little bit on, he prays for his disciples. My prayer, sorry, he prays for his disciples because something dreadful is about to happen to him. And, and they're going to be really shaken by this. Uh, so he prays for them that they'll, they'll get through this. Right? And then he prays for others. He says, I don't pray just for them. I pray for those who will believe in me through their message. That all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me. That they may be one as we as one are one. I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you've loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you've given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. We're heading for glory here, aren't we? Jesus is praying. You know, I said, have you seen the glory of Jesus? It's his prayer for you that you will see it. Isn't that brilliant? I just want to pray that just now. Father, hear the prayer of Jesus for everyone in this room. He's asked that... that we would see his glory and father we pray there's no one as, as we've already prayed as caliber that no one will leave here today without seeing the glory of jesus oh. 
Why was the word made flesh? It was made flesh so that we could hit him, bind him up. Flog him, crucify him. Do you want to see? Are you ready to see the glory? John 18, verse 12. Then the detachment, detachment of soldiers with its commander and the Jewish officials arrested Jesus. They bound him and brought him to Annas, who is the father in law of Caiaphas, the great the high priest. That year, they bound him. He had to be flesh so they could bind him. John 18, verse 19. The high priest questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. I've spoken openly to the world, Jesus replied. I have always taught in synagogues or at the temple where all the Jews come together. I've said nothing in secret. Why question me? Ask those who heard me. Surely they know what I said. When Jesus said this, one of the officials nearby slapped him in the face. Is this the way you answer the high priest? As I was reading this section, actually, it struck me, you've got uh, actually two high priests. You've got a former high priest, Annas, and then you get Caiaphas. Uh, but you've actually got a third high priest, and his name's Jesus. Is this any way to treat the great high priest? Have you seen his glory? John 19. Then Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged. The soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head. They clothed him in a purple robe and went up to him again and again, saying, Hail, King of the Jews! And they slapped him in the face. We meet a King of the Jews, we meet Herod. And for a joke, Pilate thinks, we'll call Jesus King of the Jews. That's a good laugh, isn't it? But he was. Can you see his glory? The King of the Jews, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, just let them do it. Can you see his glory? Verse 16, finally Pilate handed him over to them to be crucified. So the soldiers took charge of Jesus, carrying his own cross. He went out to the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him and with him two others, one on each side and Jesus in the middle. Verse 28, later, knowing that everything had been finished... And so that scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. This is the man who made 30 times 6 gallons of water into wine. And he's thirsty. Don't you think he's glorious? A jar of wine vinegar was there. Do you know what? Wine vinegar. It's, it's quite refreshing, but 
It's not like the wine Jesus makes. He makes the best wine. It's official. So they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant and lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he'd received the drink, Jesus said, Just one word. Which is three in English. It is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. We killed him. That's why the word became flesh. He let us do that to him. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. If you doubt it, just look at the cross. It is finished. It's done. We haven't got time to sing. I did want us to sing, See His Love. Nailed to a cross, perfect and blameless sacrifice given for us. This is Jesus in his glory, King of heaven, dying. Was it for you? (laughs) Isn't he glorious? Isn't he glorious? Let's just stand and pray. Oh, Father, what your heart must be that you should so love the world that you should send your son to this. And we've seen your, you've seen your love because we've seen him. And you've sent your spirit to us. You've opened our eyes. Just pray, Father, anyone else left here in the room that hasn't seen the glory of Jesus, doesn't love him, doesn't treasure him, that you would do that even right now. Everyone here should see your glory. And now, let us know something of your glory among us as we drink coffee together.